and welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach uh, in its podcast form. Uh, the Personal Wealth Coach is not just a podcast or radio program in some places. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Uh, that firm is registered with the SEC. That doesn't mean that the SEC particularly likes us or, or gives any thumbs up or thumbs down. They're the regulators. So if we say something absolutely horrible, promissory, or anything else, they're the folks to complain to. Um, we as a firm are different from the group that's doing the podcast or the radio program because as a firm, we function as fiduciaries. That means we function in the best interest of our clients. We put their interests ahead of our own and disclose all the disclosables, talk about all that good stuff. And that's impossible to do on a podcast unless we know in advance every one of you that will be listening to our program, which we might if we only have two or three people listening. It's probably us. But uh, hopefully we'll have more than that listening. So what are we instead of fiduciary? Well, we're publicly disseminating this stuff. Uh, this is education. Hopefully we'll be able to give you some information that you will be able to use in decision-making in your finances that we hope will cause you to be more successful in life. We might want to tell them who we are. Oh, yeah. This is Jake McClure. And on the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Uh, we are the principals at, at uh, the Personal Wealth Coach, the firm, as well as the co-hosts of this particular program. If we're the host, does that make you the parasite? Oh. Uh, but you have another disclosure to, um, with great pleasure, give to the audience. Well, it's one of my favorite disclosures. It's the information that we present in this podcast or radio program is from sources we deem to be reliable. See, I get to use deem. It's the only time we get to use it. Uh, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to its completeness or accuracy. How do you like that? Great. You can warranty, guarantee nothing. How's that? Uh, but we are going to use sources we b believe to be reliable. Well, the purpose of this particular episode of the podcast is to talk about something that people talk about and rarely explain. That is, Tax. what's that? Taxes. Taxes. No. Well, sort of, kind of. Uh, it's Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, rolling over, converting. What is all this stuff? What is it about? Why should you do it? Why shouldn't you do it? What are you looking at? So, what is, well, let's start at the very most basic. And most people will know this, but some won't. What is a traditional IRA? Well, a traditional IRA is a individual retirement account, and it enables a person to put money into it, differing amounts according to how old you are and how much money you make and a lot of other things. But you can put money into it, and if you meet the requirements, you can put money into it and deduct that money from your taxable income during the year so you don't pay income tax on it. You do pay uh, employment taxes on it, the payroll taxes, but you don't pay the uh, you don't you don't pay your federal income tax, in most cases state income tax on it until you take it out. And when you take it out, you pay taxes on all of it. Uh, now there's some. Interesting factors here. You mentioned uh, you can put differing in amounts in depending on your age or your income. And that income thing gets into a much more complicated area where there's retirement plans. There's 401ks and SEPs, that's Simplified Employer Pension. Um, 
those plans allow you to put a lot more money in than if you just had your own individual retirement account. Um, depending on income, you could put a lot more money in those things. The reality is that the retirement account spectrum of uh, the alphabet number soup of IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457b, governmental or non-governmental, 457. There's all of these code words. And what it really comes down to, if you're, here's some more here. If you're working for the government, you have a thrift savings plan. If you are working for a state government, you might have some type of state plan instead. And they all fall under a law, ERISA. Yes, one of our favorite laws. Yes, it's the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. And it puts a standard of obligation on the people giving advice on it that is loosely connected to it. It's kind of in limbo on a lot of areas. You'll hear us on other podcasts, other episodes, talking about fiduciary status and what the definition is and whether that's out there. But all of it falls under a category called qualified. So you have qualified and non-qualified. If it falls under ERISA, it's considered qualified money. And those are words that get thrown around in the investment industry as jargon. Is this qualified money? Is this non-qualified money? The reality is that question is, what is the tax treatment on a withdrawal on the money? What is the treatment on whether or not you're going to be required to take money out? So we're going to try to start basic. It's a really complicated subject, so we're going to start basic and kind of build slowly from there. A traditional individual retirement account is what most people are used to. Most people have heard of this. It's something you can put money in and deduct that money from your taxes in a lot of circumstances. But when you pull the money out, it's taxed. If you pull it out before your retirement age of 59 and a half why the half? Because it's the government and they count ages the same way five-year-olds do. If you're five and a half years old, then you understand why the government is saying 59 and a half. Otherwise, it's because it was Congress that wrote it in Congress. That's the only answer you're going to need. There's no logic. There's just Congress. Um, so the, the concept here on a traditional IRA is you're deducting the taxes today and the income tax bracket of today. So if you're making a lot of money in your highest tax bracket you'll ever be in your life, and you deduct your taxes today, and then pull them out later at a lower bracket when you're in retirement, that's a good use of it. I've seen these things offered to college students as a traditional IRA. Put all your money in there. When they're literally in the lowest tax bracket they will ever be in their life. So they're deducting the money today. They don't have to pay the taxes today. But when they pull the money out, they're probably going to be in a higher tax bracket. It's going to cost them more money to take that money out. So I rarely think it's a good idea for a college student to start a traditional IRA, which brings in the other thing, the Roth IRA. What is a Roth IRA, if you will, please? Well, a Roth IRA is an individual retirement account that you don't get a tax deduction for putting money into. You take your after-tax income, you put into there. But here's the nice thing about it. It's, it tax defers the growth as long as you want to leave it in there. 
you don't have a requirement to take it out at some point. And when you do take it out, if you follow the rules, you can take it out without paying taxes on the growth in it. That's pretty cool. And if you're in a low income tax bracket and you decide I'll pay the taxes in today's bracket and the lower rate and then pull it out when I'm making a lot more money later on, but I won't have to pay the high taxes, that's a perfect use for it. So there's a good use for both a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. And the decision you make is whether or not you think your income is going to be higher at the point that you're liquidating the thing, either in little lump sums or monthly or whatever for your retirement. Uh, or is it higher today? If it's higher today, you should be putting the money in a traditional, more likely, IRA <clears throat> or, some, or a 401k or a lot of other sources you can get the same deduction. If, on the other hand, you think that you're going to be later on in a higher tax bracket, then using a Roth is a better idea, generally. Um, that comes to the next thing. You can. Th- there are limitations on how much money you make If you make too much money, you cannot use a Roth IRA. Well, how much is that? It depends on how you file your taxes. This this gets into crazy complicated area. I have spoken with people that have uh, student loans. And when they got married, their spouse also had student loans. But the spouse had uh, their student loans in a payment plan based on their income. And the only way to keep that payment plan at the lower amount was to file married filing separately, which is a very interesting way of filing. It keeps that that burden low on on student loans. But it means if you make more than $10,000, you can't use a Roth IRA. Why? Well, again, no logic. It's Congress. You just forget about why. The Congress has said you can't do it. There are other limitations. If you make a certain amount of money and you're single or you're married, there are different numbers for each of these, you might make too much money to put money in a Roth IRA, which just as a side note, seems absolutely absurd from a governmental standpoint because the government, I would think, would want to make more money in taxes. Would, would you agree with that? I would think they would want to, but they think if you make more than $198,000 in 2021... If you're uh, married filing jointly. Married filing jointly, then you probably shouldn't contribute to a Roth IRA. It doesn't make sense to me because Congress, but you know, you would think if you make more money than that and you're willing to pay the taxes today to put it in a Roth IRA, they should just let you. Well, no, they, they don't. You, you have to do it a more complicated way. Uh, and now, this, what's that? Now, if you're single or a head of a household or married filing separately and you didn't live with your spouse for a full year and you can certify that, then you can make up to $125,000 as a person and still contribute to the Roth IRA. As soon as you're married filing separately and you're living with your wife or your husband uh, or some combination of both of those, possibly, you can't make more than 10000 So why? Well, again, this comes back again and again and again. There's no logic here. Just, just take it as it is. This was written by a bunch of different Congresses over a long period of time, and they didn't consult with each other. And even the Congresses that are writing a law together generally don't consult with each other. So, of course, they're not going to consult with past Congresses. The key is to go to the IRS website, which is irs.gov, and check out what they have to say about how much you can contribute. Because it changes from year to year. 
And with tax law changes, it changes there and it changes. So it's really important if you want to figure out how much you can contribute to a Roth IRA or a regular IRA for that matter, you go to that website and you look it up. Okay. So now there's something called a backdoor Roth IRA. Well, that sounds fascinating, doesn't it? It sounds like a hacker term when you've got it. Do you have a backdoor password? No, I have backdoor Roth IRA though. Ooh. What is that? Well, what that is, is Congress left accidentally, I'm positive, left a loophole in the law that says, yeah, you can't put stuff in that Roth IRA because you make too much money. But you can put money in a traditional IRA when you make that much money. Oh, okay. Well, I'll put it in there. Um, Now you can convert that money to a Roth IRA. You just have to pay the taxes on it. Okay, so now you have to have two accounts to do this deal. And for a while, it was a gray area. People were saying, hey, let's do a backdoor Roth IRA. We're going to put your money in a traditional IRA and then just convert it. You pay the taxes. You now have a Roth IRA. Well, Congress talked about this in the SECURE Act at the end of 2018. And they said, oh, no, we meant to do that. Uh, Roth IRAs can be gotten into if you put it in a traditional IRA and then convert it over. But you still can't put it directly in. You still have to do these extra steps. So now it's not a gray area. It is clearly legal to do this. Congress has said, yep, this is fine. But they haven't stepped in and said any reasoning for this. If you want to do a Roth IRA and you make too much money, you can still do it. You just have to do it carefully. Now, the next step, so we're kind of building up one layer at a time, is if you have a large IRA and you're sitting there making not a huge amount of money and you decide you want to take that money and over time convert it to a Roth IRA, why would you decide to do that? Well, the same SECURE Act that said it's all right to do the backdoor Roth, that it's okay, it's not just an oversight now, Congress has oversight, right? I think they should say, uh, I, I am Congress's overlooking. Uh, we overlook a lot of things. Um, they've overlooked this and overlooked that. Well, Congress's statement that it's okay to do it, well, why would you want to do it? You have all this money sitting there. The same act says that when you die, not if, you notice I didn't say if there, unless I'm talking to an immortal, when you die, that money goes to someone else. As long as it's a spouse, it's no big deal. It just becomes the spouse's IRA. It can get combined with their existing IRA. It's no problem. But if it's not a spouse and the person that's receiving it is more than 10 years younger, then they only have 10 years to get that money out. And uh, I've got clients that have huge amounts of money and they have very successful kids and they also have huge amounts of money coming in every day. And this is the point. If you're leaving IRA money to your kids and they have 10 years to get that thing out, say you have a million dollars in there and you have one heir and they're making $200,000 a year. This is a wonderful thing to complain about. Just as a side note, this is not something that anybody should be crying about to get free money from their parents and uh, be making good money, but the idea is to try to keep the tax bill low. If you've got 10 years to get a hundred a million dollars out and you get no return during that 10 years, you've got an extra $100,000 every year unless you want to take it all out in one year and be in 
absolutely the highest tax bracket ever. So this becomes more of an estate planning tool now. Of If you start converting this, um, the people that inherit the Roth IRA have a time limit to pull that money out. It's a five-year time limit. But as it comes out, it comes out tax-free if it's done correctly. It has to be around for five years uh, regardless of the fact, which is, I think, part of the reason why they have a five-year time limit on it um, before it has to be liquidated. Well, now you have this money that's come from the Roth that's tax-free. Now, notice we haven't talked about estate taxes in here. We're talking about income tax-free, not estate taxes. That's a different area. We Anybody say that the tax code's a little complicated? Um, I, I would I would agree with that. So what's another reason why somebody might want to convert a Roth IRA or for a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA? Well, a very good reason to do that is if you expect to be in a lower tax bracket at some point, or, and then, like, or you are in a lower tax bracket now than you will be when you retire. Right. You convert it now and you pay the taxes now, as long as you're careful and you don't kick yourself into a higher tax bracket. If you pay the taxes now, then you will pay less taxes later. And that is a big issue right now because we're making this podcast in 2020 and in December of 2020. And the law as it stands today says the taxes are going to go up in 2025. Right. That's part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed that says, hey, we're going to give everybody a tax cut. All corporations get a tax cut and personal people get tax cuts too, but that's temporary. The corporate tax cuts were permanent. The other thing that might be happening is there's something going on like the market is really, really down like it was earlier in the year where your IRA is at a low ebb where you can take a bunch of money out and and then when it comes back, well, I would have said if it comes back at the time, but now I can say when it comes back, you're able to uh, have more money in there with a relatively low taxable event when you did the conversion. Because this is the important thing to understand. The conversion is taxable. So if you take $20,000 out of your traditional IRA and you convert it to a Roth IRA, you just added $20,000 of income to your year and you're going to have to pay taxes on it. Now, the money that you convert doesn't have a penalty on it. But if you take money out of your IRA to pay the taxes for the conversion and you're not 59 and a half yet, you'll, have, you'll pay taxes on the money pulled out for taxes and the penalty of 10% on top of it. So this is a, is, is, is a complicated area. It's not too complicated if you understand each of the variables. This is why we're talking about them one at a time. So you can't simply do withholding when you do the conversion? If you do withholding from the conversion and you're not 59 and a half, you have to include enough withholding to cover the 10% penalty on the withholding. Wow. Yeah. So the sweet spot for conversions are if you're between the age of 60 and 72, and your income is lower than, than it has been, and you expect it to go up later. Now, there's another complicated factor that comes in here. There's something called a required minimum distribution. Uh, and this is, again, the SECURE Act moved that back to age 72 when the government starts requiring you to take money out. But if you were already age 70 when they did this, you still have to take your required minimum distributions. And those numbers, the amount that they require you to pull out over time, if your account is maintaining its value, 
the number that they want you to pull out goes up every year because it's partially based on your life expectancy and they want you to have paid all the taxes on your traditional IRA by the time they expect you to be dead. Let me explain that again. You've never paid taxes on the money in the traditional IRA. The IRS uh, is under the impression that Congress would actually like to get paid their taxes. Uh, I know it's weird. Uh, And I certainly don't want to get the IRS upset. So taxes need to get paid. That's why they require you to take distributions after a certain age because they say, hey, we want some of our revenue back, which means that the balance in your traditional IRA is not 100% yours. Some percentage of that belongs to the federal government in taxes because you never paid taxes on it. And if you have a lot of years to make the decisions on when is the best time to take it. When is that tax going to be the most discounted? If you, for instance, got laid off in 2020 and your income is really, really low, it may be a great year to do a Roth conversion. That's one of the things that we're looking at. We've got clients that are extremely successful that this year got laid off. Well, we say, what's your income going to be? And they say, well, it's going to be a lot lower than it was. And I've already paid a bunch of taxes at front end that I'm probably not going to owe. So then we turn around and we say, well, let's do some Roth conversion. Let's bring your income up to the level it would have been that you paid taxes on. Save some money there. Keep your income tax bracket as low as we can. And do the Roth conversion so that in the future it's tax-free when you pull that money out. Again, assuming you do it after age 59 and a half. There's also... Roth IRAs also give you the ability to pull the principal out without a penalty if the Roth IRA has been around for more than five years. So there's there's some more flexibility here as well. I, I love Roth IRAs, but they do not fit every person. I love traditional IRAs, but they don't fit every person either. So each person needs to look at this and say, all right, this year I want to do traditional or this year I want to do Roth. A lot of 401ks also give you that option to choose whether or not you're going to have a Roth contribution or a traditional contribution. Just know that if you have any matching, that matching will be going into a traditional side. Think about using a Roth IRA again is that five-year time frame that you really need to wait. And it doesn't make any difference what age you are when you wait. There is a necessity to wait even if you're over 59 and a half before that, before the part that you're contributing, not the, before the growth becomes um, non-taxable when you take it out. So there's a five-year window there. So you have to look at your cash flow and recognize that you will have to pay potentially taxes and a penalty if you take money out too early. And again, this is a little complicated and a tax advisor is pretty important here. The important thing to recognize in looking at conversion is if you anticipate a problem with too much taxes down the road and you are you anticipate a problem with your beneficiaries having too much taxes because they have too much income, then a conversion to the Roth IRA is something that may make sense. Again, though, it's a good idea to plan it out carefully in advance and have somebody who understands the conversion process and the expenses associated with it, which are taxes. It's also important that you choose your investments correctly when you do it. One of the things that can really screw up your conversion 
is if you go from someplace, you, let's just say that you have a 401k and you convert it to an IRA or you, you basically have a no load situation and you go to a financial advisor and the financial advisor tells you that you ought to convert your Roth IRA and he has you converted into something that has a high upfront charge or high expenses. Yeah. Well, you likely to make any gain off of that and you're probably going to wind up with a loss whether you know it or not. So this comes back to doing your research in advance, making sure that you keep your expenses low and that you've had good thought on what the investments are. Um, I, and I think that there's a lot more. I mean, obviously, there, we barely even touched on the fact that you don't need to convert. If you're planning on converting to a Roth IRA, you don't have to do it all at once. You have the ability to do any amount in a given year. Um and the next year you can do a different amount or none at all. Uh, in fact, the IRS would generally like you to keep it as a traditional IRA just because they know they're going to get paid at some point on that. And all this Roth conversion stuff throws their projections out the window. They can't project what they expect to make until they see the patterns there. Um, and I think those are the major issues on traditional IRA to Roth IRA uh, and vice versa. What they are what it's about. Um, quite often your employer sponsored plan will have a Roth side of it as well. If it's a large plan. Um, and as I was saying before, expect that if you've got any matching from your employer, that's going to be on the traditional side. So when you do a rollover, you'll have two accounts out of it. You'll have a Roth account and a traditional IRA account, even though in your 401k or your TSP, it's all listed as one number. If you look closely, you can see which part's Roth, which part is traditional. And I think that wraps up what we have to say. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to it? No, other than a very important point, it's complicated. Yeah. And you should talk to your tax advisor. You should talk to your investment advisor. And it's important, I think, to have a fiduciary involved because the process of rolling over, if you don't know what you're doing here, and most people don't, and the process, not a rolling over, but converting from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA has the potential for somebody to lead you astray and wind up costing you a lot of money without you even knowing it, without even you, you being aware of it, unless you read the prospectus carefully, actually read and understand the prospectus carefully on what you're getting into. So it's a good idea to have somebody who is a fiduciary. A CPA, for example, is a fiduciary. And in, uh, an investment advisor, presuming that you're talking to somebody who's a pure investment advisor and going to function as an investment advisor during the entire process, is a fiduciary. If you're talking to a financial advisor, probably I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to do you bad, but they have the they're in the position of being adversarial, and they're in the position of trying to earn money for the company for which they work. And as a result, they may wind up putting you in something that's unduly expensive for you. Right. Uh, we do actually give advice on this stuff and, uh, you can see our contact information elsewhere, but, uh, we'll give it to you here as well. If you would like to contact us when we're not doing a podcast and get some individualized advice, uh, the local number for central Texas is 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that same line toll-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Or you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got a newsletter on there, and you can sign up for that. We've got a radio program that goes back lots of years, and we've got recordings of it there. 
Um, you'll also be able to uh, contact us through the contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next episode.